0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Welcome back to the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I am your host, Johnny McKewan. I'm joined by my good friend, Matt Moretz. Matt's joined me on the podcast before. He shared his expertise in golf. He, of course, played competitive golf growing up in San Diego, played in Junior Worlds. He's a better golfer than I am, but we share the enthusiasm for the game of golf, and there's nobody else I'd like to talk to better than you today. Mr. Moretz, how are you? I'm good,
0: Johnny. How are you?
1: You know, I'm doing great because Phil Mickelson just won the PGA Championship. The oldest major winner in history, 50 years old, the lefty from San Diego, he's going to take his place in history. He already is going to be known to be one of the greatest golfers of all time. This cements his history in a new way. Made comments about old Phil Mickelson, comparing him to old Tom Morris. I mean, this is, this is the stuff of legends. And today, Phil Mickelson has done it. Your first reaction to Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship?
0: I, I really don't think it's going to sink in for a few days. Uh, to be quite honest with you. Um, As somebody who's watched Phil's career, I mean, I've watched him since he won his first major back in 2004. It doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem something that was like in the works at all, really. He hadn't finished top 20 in this year at all. There's just so much that completely took me by surprise. I think it took everybody by surprise. It's always tricky with Phil because you never really know you can never really count your chickens until they hatch with Phil Mickelson because, uh, as we've seen at U.S. Opens six times, he's, uh, you know, had the lead or been in contention and, and lost it. And you just really, he's so unpredictable and he gets himself into trouble a lot. And I think that his composure throughout the week, but uh, especially today going up against someone like Brooke Kef, Brooks Kepka, who dominates the PGA Championship, not to mention just dominating the game of golf, uh, was really remarkable.
1: Phil has talked and been, Phil's always a kind of an open book in press conferences. He's a great interview. He has shared his struggle in recent years, maintaining focus. I mean, talk about being honest. He's always been honest with the press and always been, you know, like I said, an open book. And he talked about regaining his focus, maintaining his physical ability, but All the while, during questioning, people would ask because he went and played in the Champions Tour and won on the Champions Tour. The Champions Tour is the over 50-year-olds who have won on the PGA Tour can play in the Champions Tour. Phil went, now that he's 50, and won. First one that he played in. And so the press was constantly saying, when are you going to go and join the Champions Tour and just play in the Champions Tour? And he kept telling them, I've got a little bit more. I think I can still go out and play against these guys. I can still compete. I want to do it. And everyone doubted him. 300 to 1 for this championship in Vegas this this, this week. It's just stunning. And, you know, it is going to take a while for it to sink in. I think it's, it's comparable to what happened in 2019 with Tiger. The scenes were certainly similar to the tour championship with Tiger, with all of the fans flooding down 18. There are two people in golf that can have this big of a reaction for a major championship win. It's Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. And today, Phil Mickelson will be duly celebrated and rightly celebrated by the world of golf.
0: Yeah, I I mean, absolutely. I I absolutely agree with everything that you just said. And I think more so, you know, I I just said to myself, watching it alone here in my apartment, I said, a Champions Tour player just won a major (laughs) champion. Yeah, won a major championship. And I I, I just couldn't quite like wrap my head around that, even though I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily qualify Phil Mickelson as a Champions Tour regular, but yeah, it's just remarkable. And, and it kind of, it's a testament to where, you know, that you really can't count out veterans of the sport. You know, you look at some of the guys ruling, you know, ruling sports right now. And uh, I would say Phil Mickelson's ruling the game of golf, but he's, you know, he won today and Tom Brady won the Super Bowl back in, in February. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton's doing amazing things in F1. And for those guys, father time is definitely uh, being taken down.
1: You have Serena Williams winning a Grand Slam.
0: Serena Williams as well. Yeah, sorry.
1: You have, um, there are so many, you know, Tom Brady, like you said, and, and you know, Phil will be in the part in the conversation in golf now for a year. When you win one of these things, you're essentially talked about for a year, especially well, with the major were give him. They were going to
0: give him a special, well, they gave him a special invitation to Tory because it's his hometown to play the U.S. Open. And he rejected it a few times, I think, and then he accepted it this week, but... He doesn't need it for the next five years. Doesn't
1: need it for the next five years. Now, having won a PGA Championship, one of the benefits of being the champion of uh, of, of this major, I'm I'm st- I'm stunned for it. Really, Let's, uh, Corey Connors was the leader after the first round, and the Canadian had a really great first round. But then it was Phil who was the 54 hole leader. He did it on Friday, on Saturday, and it looked like it was going to be a real test coming in on Sunday. The wind switched, which was a huge conversation around the course this entire week, was about the way the wind was blowing and how it was going to affect the, the players. And the other big talking part of this course was the length of it. And because of that, they said, oh, you know, Bryson's going to have an advantage. Brooks is going to have an advantage. Rory's going to have an advantage. All the young guys were the ones to watch starting Thursday. But what ended up happening was a four-day clinic on how to play a link-style ocean course, predominantly sand, in the wind by a legendary golfer Phil put on a clinic in that way it was amazing to watch and particularly on Sunday where there were two shot flips on the first nine holes I mean there were like five of them
0: like a teeter-totter it was just back and forth back and forth first like five holes yeah
1: crazy first five holes between Brooks and and Phil and you thought that Brooks could I mean everyone's money would have been on Brooks really that would have been the the thought Louis Taysom was in the hunt as well. Kevin Streelman was right there. There was a moment on like five or six where I thought, "Oh man, is Kevin Streelman going to end up like taking a charge?" And Phil like makes makes his first triple bogey of the tournament, and it's just like Streelman hangs on at four under. Were you surprised by the final score? Were you were you surprised that it that he he won it as low as uh, that? It, that it didn't get much lower than seven under.
0: Uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was someone like uh, DJ or if it was someone like Jordan Spieth. Uh, or Brooks Kepka, but right. obviously for the fact that it's Phil Mickelson. I mean, I would even be surprised by Louis Oostein, but I, I'm, I'm actually a pretty big Louis Oostein fan. Um, I know we rooted pretty hard against him uh, in the 2012 Masters. Remember, he had that double eagle on number two, and we were just – I was watching it with you, I remember, and we were just – we were uh, torn up about it. But I, I actually – I'm a big Louis Ustazen fan. I think he's got the best – I think he's got one of, if not the best, swing, uh, swing rhythms and just swing – in general uh, on uh, on tour. But yeah, I mean, I was I was just surprised at how uh, Phil navigated this course. I, I played I played one of the Keel courses a few years ago. It was difficult, you know, the, the layout of, uh, of the golf courses on Kiyo are pretty difficult, but then we went over to take a look at the ocean course just to see it. We didn't play it just to see it. And it's just the wind, the way the wind blows and just the bunkering on the course, I mean, I don't even know if you can call it bunkering. That it's it's just sand dunes at this point. It's it's so difficult, and I think for a PGA Championship, it's definitely got a lot of it's definitely got a lot of teeth. Uh, this golf course, and it was nice to see a PGA Championship really be a tough test of golf, like we would see in a U.S. Open, um, but still see a lot of birdies, um, like we would in a PGA Championship. I think it was a very I think it was very well set up uh, by the PGA, and I think that. The opportunities to score were were plentiful, but the uh, the the punishment for for making mistakes was was severe as well.
1: The shot of the tournament very well might be that hole out from the bunker was one of the most insane moments can you talk a bit about what you thought when that went down
0: yeah only phil right i mean only phil uh was my thought i think any other player to make that shot would have just been sheer luck i mean i i i texted you i, I that shot is so difficult because you're so far back in the bunker so you have to fly it a good ways Um, but you don't have any room to work with on the green. It just, it was, it was so perfectly executed. I mean, he couldn't have landed it in a better spot. I mean, and it fell in so beautifully. And for him, it was, it's, it's almost textbook at this point. I don't think that, yeah, I I think any other player, it would have been, it would have just been like a one in a million shot. Um, But for him, I think it's, it's just what Phil does, man. I think it's really just what Phil does.
1: His short game has, I mean, he's always been known for his short game, but it was just at its absolute peak, it seemed. And I think that when you talk about the course, you know, it sets up for his play. He played well in the wind. He plays really great around the greens. A lot of the pros were talking leading into the tournament how putting was going to be really crucial. I think everything around the green was really crucial. All of the greens were kind of elevated, built up a bit, but then all of this natural sand around them. So The, mm. the amount of Different lies that can happen. And he was in a really tough one there with very little green to work with, and he holds it out. I mean, it was just classic, Phil. That will be replayed. That will be the shot of the tournament.
0: Yeah, and I think he, I, I think more than anything, what Phil succeeded at more than anybody else was his mental game. And, you know, so often you see Phil Mickelson make a big number and then kind of rule himself out just purely by making a big number and he really didn't make many or or any big numbers uh, this week i know he doubled yesterday um but he made far fewer mistakes and i think that's a testament to mental stamina and just playing the right game between the ears and i think that's it's so crucial golf is you know 90 mental and you can you can play yourself out of a golf tournament purely by your own thoughts.
1: I think it's amazing to be pointed out. Louis, Tyson was in the hunt in 2012 at the Masters, he's he has won an Open Championship. at that he's been a part of so many major championship stories: uh, Open, PGA, Masters, you name it, and he's been there. And there is and there's something to be said about Brooks Koepka as well, and the way that he handles himself around majors, the way he focuses on them how that is the focus of his season and he performs and he performed on two bum knees, just recently had surgery, literally talked about having to relearn how to walk. And now he's out here and he just knows how to compete. There are these guys that just have that next level competition between the years and Phil had the day today, but there are a couple that were still lurking there today. what did you make of, what did you make of the field? Well, I think
0: I like to call them big game hunters uh, Brooks Kepka And I, I would, I would, I would put the list at Brooks Kepka, Louis use Tazen, Charlie Hoffman on Thursdays at majors is always, <laughs> is always leading on Thursdays. And then just, you never see him again. Um, Angel Cabrera, big game Hunter, Padraic Harrington, big game Hunter for a little bit. Um, but you know, these guys just for some reason play really, really well in the majors and kind of don't really contend in the regular season. And I think Brooks, in his kind of arrogant way uh, said that he doesn't really care about winning, winning regular tournaments. He'd rather just focus on the majors, which I I can't necessarily blame him, but, um, but, you know, for these guys, majors means, means the most. And, um, you know, it's more important when, when golf was being introduced to the Olympics, you know, people were surprised at how unenthused uh, the world of golf was about it. And I was unenthused as well, because, these guys don't want to go out there and win a gold medal. They want to win a major championship, you know, whether it be the masters U S open British or, or PGA, um, you know, that, that means the most to these guys and the Ryder cup. And Brooks
1: would have put himself in a, in an amazing spot in history. being, you know, being able to call himself the three time PGA champion in four years, you know, he would have, he would have had a piece of history today and you can't take away what he's done and his ability that he's shown I will say as a fan of golf, it's hard to root for him because he is not a fan of golf. He doesn't necessarily really like golf. When, you know, he, on his off days, he would rather, you know, he's going to go and be on a boat. He's not going to go and play golf. And fair enough, these guys can have, other. you know, it's not like this should also be their main hobby. But he talks about, a, he talks about golf in a way that he kind of loathes it. And mm-hmm. when he was when Phil walked into the scoring tent, it was like Brooks was waiting there. Like, dude, come on! I'm, I'm trying to clock out. I don't right. like my job, you know. <laughs> he's yeah, just like trying to get, get out of yeah. trying to I'm trying to go and get on a boat. Like, let's get out of here. You know, it's but I I do really respect him because he's an athlete and he prepares like nothing else for these these championships. And he says, you know, when when you see me playing golf on TV, that's probably when I'm playing golf. The only other time I practice golf is for the majors.
0: I think he's golf's modern-day villain. Um, and, you know, I was thinking today about not only does Phil have the support of the fans always and forever, but especially playing against a guy like Brooks Kepka, who's just really – he's not liked, certainly for his comments that he's made uh, publicly. But I but I also think that it's not uncommon for um, professional golfers to not necessarily – love the game as much as we do. I remember I I played golf with, uh, with Michelle. um, We, when I was playing golf in in high school, I got to play a round of golf with her. And I remember we were, we were talking about, you know, golf and, and I asked her what, what are your favorite, who are your favorite players? And, you know, what's your favorite course? And she kind of responded like, I I don't really watch golf that much. You know, I, I play the tournaments and, you know, I love to compete, but I don't really watch golf that much. And I thought that was so surprising. And you know, we talked about you know movies and other stuff, but it was just so surprising how someone whose their profession is is golf does not have a, a huge passion for the game like we do. But for them, it's a job. And uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure some professional golfers are extremely passionate about it, but some are probably not. And uh, it was just an interesting thing that she said. And I think Brooks makes that public because I don't think he cares what his opinion of him is in public, but I think the biggest surprise for me was um, just how poorly Brooks played on the front nine and some of the back nine as well. He, he kind of turned it on a little bit late, but he played so poorly hitting shots all over the place and really didn't have much control for his game. I, I was very surprised um, and uh, I was, I, I would have thought that it would have been the other way around Uh, that Phil would have been more out of control like he usually is. But again, I think it's a testament to the strides he's made in his mental game.
1: The focus was absolutely there, you know, and and the patience was right there. I think that, you know, Brooks is also known for playing quite fast. And I think that he played at his pace. I don't think he played too fast today, but some of that decision making and some of that focus and some of that energy that you can create in that time and and Phil just allowed himself to do that and like you said you know Brooks did not look great coming in on the front and then on the back it seemed as though the birdie on 16 really seemed to seal it and then he bogeyed 17th he kind of changed his putting stroke all week he'd been working with the you know he'd gone back to his original kind of classic overlap and then did you notice that on the bogey part on 17 he actually switched to a claw and I got a bit nervous that the nerves were kicking in for him because I I bet they were and then a crazy moment on 18th he kind of cranks the drive a little left gets it caught up amongst some of the fans they clear the area he hits his shot out and he takes his really slow, measured walk. And as he does, some dude in a red shirt comes up and, like, tackles him and grabs him from the back. And he kind of stopped, and then the police kind of stopped the line, and he just, you saw him suddenly clearing his mind and just going full zen. Tried to catch his breath and, you know, gather himself. What did you make of that final moment on 18?
0: I think that the, the marshals definitely lost control of the crowd. And I think because it was Phil Mickelson along with a lot of people feeling pent up from the pandemic and not being able to witness live sports. I, I think it was just kind of a perfect storm for people to to go a little crazy. Um, and I, I think it's unfortunate because, you know, these Brooks Kepka was like lost in the crowd for like, you know, a good two minutes. And uh, he had to kind of like, push his way through, which, you know, these guys are professional athletes trying to win a major championship and they're having to fight off, you know, drunk hooligans uh, who are, yeah. I mean, tackling them. I mean, you know, and then you can talk, start talking about, you know, what if he injured Phil or what if somebody hit him in the head with, something? you know, you, you just never know what could happen. And so I think that they certainly need to kind of look at that and, and, and make the make the adjustments accordingly. But I think um, in
1: sports venues for the next you know couple of months, that's going to be the thing about the the the, the security is just gone. I mean, all, all protocols have seemed to have gone because there was no one there for so long. And well, Now rem- there's going to be
0: tons of people there right. wandering around. And- well, it reminded me of kind of golf back you know back in the early ages of fans kind of gathering around the green to watch the final putt. And I, I think they mentioned too they they filmed uh, the legend Vagabants at that golf course uh, I believe that's mm. uh, what they said. But yeah, back in back in those days, the crowd kind of could gather right at the green, and that was just so odd to me. And and here we are, and this crowd is and, you know encircled the green, which really? I thought was interesting. Yeah.
1: Really interesting. The entirety of the fringe was covered by fans, just the putting surface, yeah. and it had an amazing kind of look to it with the house in the, this old kind of house in the background. If you looked in the windows and in the porches there, people all crammed in there. It was kind of amazing to see fans back in watching golf. I think that it brought some electricity back and I think that Phil maybe rode some of that energy. Players have talked about how having just a few select fans back has been a boost in, in energy and all of that, but You know, truly an amazing day for Phil. One that he's not going to forget anytime soon. Let's talk about some of the other players that were also in the field. What do you make of Will Zalatoris? I've been wanting to ask you about this guy. Came on the scene at the Masters, and uh, he kind of looks like Happy Gilmore's caddy. Yep. Well, yeah, he had a
0: caddy career for a little bit as Happy Gilmore's caddy, and then decided to to you know pick up the golf clubs and, and pursue a career golf on his own, which I think is commendable. <laughs> I I love him. I I remember kind of noticing, you know, started started really watching him and and um, keeping an eye on him after I think he two aces at the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Or made an ace and then and he definitely made an ace on uh, I believe it was number seven at Wingfoot and either made another one or came really close. But I thought that was so interesting that that you know, this this little scrawny kid. I mean, he's so scrawny. Um, but he played super, super well at Augusta this year. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I like him, man. He's 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 kind of cool too. He's kind of laid back and he's very got like a lot of California vibes.
1: Hideki Matsuyama made his return to the PGA Tour. He played last week, and then of course this week in the PGA Championship. He was in the hunt for a little bit, but dropped off today. What did you make of Hideki's return and and seeing him come back? And of course, he's he's going to be riding the wave of being the Masters champion for the next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, it's good to see him continuing to play well. You know, uh, it, nothing unexpected though. Hideki's always kind of been uh, always kind of been in the hunt and made the championship. So it's, it's good to see him continue to play well.
1: Were you surprised that Justin Johnson didn't make the cut?
0: No, I think he's um, a lot streakier than people want to give him credit for. I think he sometimes has um, has an off week here and there. Same with Justin Thomas. Uh, but it certainly doesn't mean that they're falling into a slump or they're, you know, their game has, has gone to hell or anything like that. I think one player that I was excited to see play well this week was Ricky Fowler. Cause I know he's kind of been struggling of late, uh, not making, uh, not qualifying for the masters this year. And uh, I think he had a top 10 finish uh, this week, which is really cool um, that he's kind of, that he's starting to play well. And he was of course, as usual, uh, right off the 18th green congratulating the, uh, the Victor and I, and I, it just made me kind of think, if and when he wins his first major, how, you know, the, the entire PGA Tour better be there to, to congratulate him because I'm sure oh, yeah. he's, he's well-loved on the tour and, and it would be cool to have that turn, you know, turn the other way around. I think
1: it's good for golf when Ricky Fowle plays well. Here's the next player I was about to ask you about. Really good to see him play well and be in the hunt. Another guy that has made 15 of the 19 cuts at the PGA, but never made a championship run for it. Ian Poulter what did you make of the postman this weekend
0: yeah I I mean I I love Ian Poulter I I I hate him during the Ryder Cup but I I love him pretty much every other uh every other tournament but yeah I, I he's he's just weirdly consistent and you know he got into playing professional golf because he just believed he could do it and I think that's such an incredible story about he, he, he was not, he must've been like a, I think a seven handicap or a five handicap or something. And, and just said to himself, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to be a professional golfer. I'm going to do it. And, you know, so help me God, I'm going to make it happen. And he did. And uh, yeah, I mean, and not to mention he's uh, a fellow Arsenal fan as well. Um, although we finished pretty low on the table. Uh, we, we had a victory today, but yeah, no, i uh, I'm, I'm, I, that's that stat's actually surprising to me 15 out of the last 19 that's pretty that's pretty impressive truly
1: the other one that was uh kind of surprised me he ended up going two under on the day started at even ended up tied for fourth harry higgs they call him the rig How, what do you, what's your take on
0: harry higgs i think that's a very very fitting nickname for him uh it's, it's harry approved they did ask him can we call you the rig and they
1: and he said yeah i like it because harry right, hicks yeah. is like a a good time guy he's like looking for a laugh he's so happy to be there at his first major but he's also like just a kind of he's like the chris pratt of the pga tour he's just got this energy where he's like yeah you can make fun of me i'm just gonna show up do my thing or wear my buttons really
0: low like it's all cool yeah, he uh, what do you make
1: what do you make yeah. of harry hicks
0: i uh i mean good for him man i, I you know <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's fun to kind of have that like boo weekly personality in in the field that kind of you know no pun intended but unbuttoned personality.
1: The big story leading into this tournament was they finally going to let PGA tour caddies and players use a rangefinder. Um, this was this is like like a huge change to the kind of way that caddies work and operate uh, in the final round. You could you could see Phil. Literally, the first thing he'd do is get to a tee box, pull out the rangefinder, and start firing away, seeing how far the pin was, how far bunkers are. This could really shake up golf, to be honest. Did you see a big change in the way of play? Did you see a change in the way of pace? I didn't really notice much of that. And and what do you think of rangefinders now being? I mean, rangefinders were just used to win a, PG, a, a major championship.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's it kind of runs along the same lines of uh, VAR and you know replays and baseball. Now it's something that I think a lot of people are split about um, in keeping the game the way it was. Versus evolving with time. My thought is: is if if everybody has the same advantage, then it's all well and good. It, you know, if replay and VAR are available for both teams, then I think same thing. You know, same thing with rangefinders. I think it's it's uh, it's an advantage that everybody is able to use.
1: I, I get the comparison, but I feel like it, by nature, VAR is penal where. You know, VAR is basically a decision that can help, either help or hurt your team. There is, there is nothing that doesn't help with knowing the exact down to a laser point yardage point on a golf course. And it, it gives you an advantage. The truth, players have had this information all along and always with caddies. This just removes the possibility for human error. I think that, you know, it's an interesting discussion about VAR because I think VAR has now brought the game down to a minutiae and it focuses on it like a, in, a in, in such a way that it feels out of control of the players, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But this is the, the advancements of the game and, and the way that the game grows. I think that like VAR has made football better and has not made football better. Mm. Uh, instant replay in baseball has, for the most part, made it better, but there have been controversial calls. I don't think you're going to have any kind of controversy with this, but do you think Rangefinder's by being used by players makes the golf better
0: i think so and i I think the comparison that i was trying to draw was just basically removing human error um Mm -hmm. because uh i remember there was that there was a pitcher i think for the for the tigers um years ago who had a near perfect game until the last out in the ninth inning and uh the runner was called safe and he was clearly out and it's like you know what. That, that, that there's nothing you can do about it. Whereas now you go to the replay and, you know, the umpires gather and and rule them out. And there, there's a perfect game, you know, and, and with yardage finders, uh, or range finders. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's good that the, the game is moving in a more progressive direction. I remember a couple years ago when there was, uh, a good amount of changes to the rules in regards to leaving the pen in, you know, that, that changed a lot of, Strategy in the game as well. That, you know, are you going to leave the pin in? Does it help to leave the pin in? Um, I think Bryson DeChambeau talked about you know the percentages on you know putts made with the pin in versus with with it out. And um, you know, I remember when Sky Caddy came out and it was like the coolest thing back in two thousand six. And uh, you know, now that GPS is everybody has it on their phones, and you know, this these range finders have been perfected. And why shouldn't tour players get perfect yardages? instead of relying on their caddies to to walk off and look at the book and look at the numbers. I mean, they're still looking at green sheets and they're still looking at slope and everything like that. But, you know, getting yardage, it, it does take a lot of time. And slow play is a big thing out on tour that these guys talk about. And I think it, it can't do anything but help uh, the game of golf. And I think people who, I don't know if anybody's, I've, I've never heard anybody opposed to, to range finders, but I think if they are, I would just consider them maybe traditionalists or something
1: it's an interesting point in in conversation of sport because it's all about making the product of of the game better fairer and more entertaining ultimately and i think that if rangefinders can help with pace of play that would be a great thing um i don't think it takes away a caddy's job which i think is important i think that's been a that was a, a a misconception of how rangefinders could be used. I think in one of the arguments a long time ago when this was first debated, somebody said, oh, you're just going to get rid of caddies. It doesn't, it does not remove cad-. The relationship of caddy is more important than ever. And that's kind of where I'd like to finish talking about Phil's caddy. He had his brother on the bag and it's kind of weird not seeing Bones Mackay on Phil Mickelson's bag when he first left. It was quite a few years ago now. Jim, Bones Mackay and, and Phil are kind of synonymous for being a, a caddy player pairing that you really know about. It was really special to see Phil as and his relationship with his brother play out. What did you What did you think of his relationship with his caddy and and do you think Bones is sitting at home going, Oh man, I could have been on Phil's bag when he did it when he was fifty?
0: Uh, no, I I don't think Bones is thinking that. I think he's he's I, a lot. I think he's at peace with his with his decision and um, he's certainly enjoying a really a really great career with NBC. I think he's done a really really great job with that. I agree. With frankly, you know, forgive me for saying, but a subpar. Subpar announcing team at at NBC. Um, I think he's really given a lot of levity to that to that broadcast team. But you know, just to kind of address what you said about caddies, yeah, I I think I think yardage is a very small part of what a caddy actually does. And when you talk to PGA Tour players uh, and ask them, you know, the significance of what a caddy does, I think a lot of them would you know, yardage would be pretty far down the list. You know, you hear these guys on TV talking about, you know, talking through the shot, talking what shot to play, talking about the yardage, talking about the false front, talking about uh, the slope off the back. I mean, these are all things, you know, you hear Tiger talk about that with his caddy. And, you know, you certainly hear Phil talk about it with with his and with his brother, Tim. And, you know, these guys have played this course before. These guys, you know, these guys know Augusta National like the back of their hand, but they're still talking through every shot, not because they're unsure of the shot, but because they want to just talk it through so that they can get it out in the open to somebody else to get their feedback on it. And, you know, just purely as a routine exercise, Um, you know, because they know that they know the shot they're going to hit before they even get to their ball. You know, it's not a decision about, oh, what shot should I play here? It's this is the shot I need to play. I need to talk it through, talk it out with somebody else. The caddy's there to you know, to kind of be a sounding board for them. But I remember when, when Bones was uh, was on the bag for Phil, the way that it worked for them was, I think Bones had maybe one, maybe two veto opportunities. For, uh, Phil only gave him one veto opportunity a season, um, which basically meant that if Phil wanted to try a shot, Bones had to let him do it. But if he really didn't want to let him do it, he could veto his decision and tell him not to hit the shot and hit the other shot. But he only got one a season, which I think is pretty interesting. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's just a testament to how, you know, the caddies are really, a um, you know, just almost like a, a another presence for them to kind of feel more at peace. And I, I think that's certainly the case with, with Phil and his brother, Tim, who's uh was a coach for asu and um at usd i think he i think their relationship is really strong and um i think it's really cool that that you know even though bones wasn't on the back for him to win to win his you know to win this major i think it was really cool that his brother was
1: what do you think tiger's thinking at home watching this right now do you think he's think
0: he's he's watching Absolutely. I think he's I think he's happy for him. I think he's stoked for Phil. Um, you know, they've they've grown a really good friendship throughout the years. And um and I'm sure, you know, Tiger's probably, you know, glancing over at his couch at his US Open Medal and probably smiling, knowing that Phil's US Open Medal doesn't exist. And, <laughs> and uh it's great that you got another PGA and uh I think Tiger's got like what, three, two or three. But uh I think he was happy for him. he's gotta be happy for him. Yeah, I think he can by- give
1: him inspiration as well. Seeing seeing the oldest champion and Tiger could you know want to try and get himself fit for that. God, not talks about Tiger in <laughs> so long. No, yeah. I hope he's doing well. I hope and I hope he was watching. I hope he enjoyed it. And I hope that Phil <laughs> has an incredible, incredible evening on his way. He's on his way back, I think, to San Diego to go see his wife. And
0: oh yeah, you know, on his private jet, he'll look at his phone and see if the Padres uh, had their third sweep in a row, nine straight wins. Uh Fernando Tatis Jr. hit two home runs, one of which was a grand slam today. I think it's a pretty I think it's a pretty solid day for Phil Mickelson all around.
1: A solid day for Phil Mickelson, a solid day for San Diego. It's a pleasure to have you as always, Matt Moretz. Thanks, buddy. Thanks again to Matt for joining the show. You can follow him at Matt Moretz on Instagram, and you can follow me at AA BritPod on Instagram and Twitter. all american brit podcast on the believe podcasting network i am your host johnny McEwen. thanks for taking the time to listen today and until next time take care thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e AV
0: on YouTube.